Welcome to Repro's Fight Back, a podcast where we explore all things reproductive health rights and justice. I'm your host, Jenny Wetter, and I'll be helping you stay informed around issues like birth control, abortion, sex education, and LGBTQ issues, and much, much more, giving you the tools you need to take action and fight back. Okay, let's dive in. Hi, Repros. How's everybody doing? I'm your host, Jenny Wetter, and my pronouns are she, her. So I'm super excited for today's episode. Not only do I get to talk to the co-host of one of my favorite podcasts, Cancel Me Daddy, we're finally getting to talk about all of the attacks on trans rights that have been happening at the state level. So since today is kind of a heavy episode, I figured I'd do a lighter intro. So maybe just catch you up on some of the things that I've been doing that are fun and nothing serious. So, you know, I'm still continuing my adventures in baking. I don't know that I've tried anything new since I've talked to y'all. I think the most different thing I made recently was a big pan of cinnamon rolls that were delightful. Otherwise, I'm kind of sticking to bagels and bread and kind of that area or muffins. I haven't attempted like a new recipe in a while, so I guess maybe I'm due sometime soon. I'll have to think of one. I don't know what yet, but I will figure out something to tackle. I need to start a new sourdough starter because I managed to kill mine It's hard because, I mean, it's not like I make sourdough a ton, but I really loved using it for sourdough English muffins, and I killed my starter, so I guess I need to start over. Anywho, it had a good life. It lived well for two years until it died from neglect. My bad. Let's see here. Anything else exciting? Ooh, I finally watched, I mean, finally, I watched it right away. I watched Turning Red from, I think, Pixar, right? I think it's a Pixar. It was so cute, y'all. It was so great to see a young girl's story and it getting into, like, talked about, like, menstruation came up and it was just adorable. I loved it. I will definitely watch it again. And, you know, she turns into a giant red panda and I love red pandas. They're so cute. And I think one of my favorite things about them is when they get scared, they, like, stand up and put their front paws up so they look, you know, big and scary. But somehow they just manage to look so much cuter. Anyway, she does that in the film when she gets scared as a red panda. And it just, it made me laugh. It's so cute. So I highly recommend it. I, I loved it a lot. And you should definitely check it out. Let's see here. I don't know that I've listened to any new podcasts. I have a very heavy rotation of podcasts I listen to. Like I mentioned at the top, I definitely always listen to Cancel Me Daddy. Uh, I love that podcast. And also I've been listening to lately a lot of Maintenance Phase by Aubrey Gordon and Michael Hobbs. I really love that podcast. It's so wonderful taking on diet culture and wellness culture. I love that podcast. Let's see. The other one I've been listening to is also one of Michael Hobbs's. It's You're Wrong About. Kind of looking back on a whole slew of issues. There are a ton of episodes. And looking at, you know, how our perceptions of them are wrong. A lot of it involves about, like, basically how women have been covered badly in the media. So love it. I have been enjoying catching up with that one. I'm all caught up in 
maintenance phase, but I just haven't listened to all of You're Wrong About yet. So I am still trudging my way through. And by trudging, I mean delightfully trudging my way through because I really do love it. I think those are like the big, I mean, not big, but like those are like the exciting things that have been going on recently. Like I said, nothing super exciting. Been going out a little bit. Was able to go out winering with a friend not that long ago. And it was delightful because it was like a snowy day and nobody else was out or very few people were out. And it was just nice to see a friend and go and drink some wine and eat good food and get out of D.C. for a little bit. Yeah, I think those are those are probably the biggest highlights. I'm pretty boring. I guess with that, we'll turn to this week's episode. And as I said at the top, we have the wonderful Caitlin Burns on again. I am so excited to talk to Kate about all of the attacks on trans rights at the state level. So like I said, it's a pretty heavy episode because, man, y'all, the stuff is terrible. But she, as always, is a delight to talk to. So I guess we'll turn to my interview with Caitlin Burns, who is a freelance journalist and the co-host of the wonderful Cancel Me Daddy podcast. Hi, Kate. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. So before we get started, do you want to do a real quick introduction of yourself and include your pronouns? Yeah, my name is Caitlin Burns. My pronouns are she, her. I was the first openly trans Capitol Hill reporter in U.S. history. Uh, Currently, I am a columnist for MSNBC and a freelance journalist, and I am the co-host of the podcast Cancel Me Daddy. Which I love and (laughs) always listen to. I mean, I always read your stuff, too, but uh, I really love your and Oliver's podcast. We have a lot of fun with it. It's, it's very so topical. I always, whenever I hear things come up, I'm like, oh, my God, I cannot wait to hear Cancel Me Daddy talk about whatever the new nonsense was. Oh, my God. There's been so much stuff lately. And unfortunately, yeah. Oliver hasn't been able to work oh, for no. health reasons. I don't think they've mentioned it publicly, but. So we unfortunately missed out on some great things, but we're coming back soon. We're excited. Good. Well, I'm very excited to have y'all back when you come back. Okay. Unfortunately, we have to turn to the horrible things now. We can't just talk about your podcast, although I would love to. (laughs) And there's just been so much Mm -hmm. anti-trans nonsense. Yes. So I figured we would kind of dump it into a couple different buckets of nonsense okay. instead of doing like state by state or anything like that because it's mm-hmm. too much to do state by state yes so i guess the first like bucket has been there has been a lot of things around banning books or making sure that classrooms can't talk about lgbtq mm-hmm. people do we want to talk about kind of that strain of attack that we've been seeing yeah, so the short story is that conservatives, I think on the backs of the critical race theory panic that we saw last year, have kind of seized on LGBT issues for a similar sort of, I don't know if hate campaign is the right way to say it. I think we typically describe those things as hate, but it's the way that I explain it to people is. Every year since I've been an adult, going back to the year 2000, because I'm old, 
the GOP has always come up with something really obnoxious and just borderline fantastical, right? So you remember the what was it, the refugee caravan or whatever? Oh my god, it was? that was the exact one I was thinking of. Yeah. So like, and then and then last year for the Virginia governor's race and a couple other handful smattering of other races that were run last year was the the critical race theory and the trans bathroom stuff like in 2004 when w bush was running for re-election they of course had all those referendums on marriage equality it's all it's like this is the one that i think is the closest to that sort of bullshit what can we do to whip our right-wing base into a fury And, and this is the latest thing is this banning books and it's really I think it's been quite scary for LGBT people who aren't trans because I think that like cisgender gay people and lesbians and bisexuals kind of thought they were in the clear (laughs) from being targeted by the right wing. I never really believed that. But what you're seeing is sort of a pivot where, yes, anti-trans sentiment is driving this. If you listen to like, Governor DeSantis in Florida, when he's at his signing ceremony for the Don't Say Gay bill, he's talking about trans people and gender ideology and making sure it doesn't spread in schools. But make no mistake, like it's not just trans people that they're targeting. I actually think it was a mistake to call it the Don't Say Gay bill. And I think it was another example of sort of the quote-unquote big gay rights movement brushing aside the underlying transphobia of these things to sort of protect their own, if you will. I'm not sure I'm making a whole lot of sense on this, but <laughs> we can talk a little bit about sort of the origins and how this came to be come about, because I think it's directly tied to the anti-trans movement. Sure. So what you saw over, I want to say the last three years or so, is you saw a lot of anti-trans pundits like Abigail Schreier and some others who I refuse to name who really came out strong with this theory that there were trans kids who were turning trans because of peer pressure or some sort of social contagion. And what ended up happening was conservatives, as they do with every issue, they see this one little glimpse of this theory, which was made up bullshit to begin with, but they run with it and they seize on it and they take it way too far. So now what you have is this entire movement trying to ban book with any mention of trans identities or trans kids. They're sending it into classroom discussion now. And they're saying, you know, we want to stop this social contagion and this is the best way to do it. So I think it's, in a sick way, it's a vindication for, you know, trans activists and journalists like myself who saw those campaigns for what they were back then and took them to their logical conclusion. And it was really an immense failure by, I would say, liberal advocacy and mainstream media. Yeah, uh, I I feel like a lot of people have, we're caught by surprise a little bit. And I think especially, How? which I agree, right? How? Like it's, 
it's been coming. It's like the people who are shocked that like Ro- we're probably going to lose Roe. I'm like, but like it's Again, been happening. How? Right? <laughs> yes. So it happens slowly until it doesn't. Right. And like it's easy to not listen to the people screaming mm-hmm. until it's like super in front of your face. Yeah. Which is super frustrating. Yeah. Okay. So that's the first bucket. Uh-huh. The next bucket is preventing trans kids from playing sports. Yes. Which I know you've written a ton about, <laughs> and I will definitely include links to some of Kate's pieces throughout on multiple topics, but um, I just remember reading some really great ones of yours in this area. Yeah, I am frankly sick of talking about this issue. This is one of the first pieces I ever wrote as a quote-unquote professional writer was about growing up myself as a closeted trans girl who also loved playing sports. And I had no idea back then that it would turn into sort of the leading political issue of a midterm election. But, you know, I remember I, I went back and read that piece. I think it's on my Medium page now because the Medium publication I wrote it for no longer exists. <laughs> but, you know, uh, the thesis that I had back then, and we're talking about 2016, was I couldn't imagine. I mean, first of all, when I was younger, I had no idea that transitioning was a thing that and anybody could do much less kids or adolescents. But had I known that, I couldn't have imagined trying to choose between my athletic career and my gender identity. Like, the sports taught me so much about working in a team environment and building social skills, right? Because you can't just, like, cut yourself off from your teammates if you're playing a team sport. Like you know, basketball and soccer, which were the two team sports that I played. So this this issue in particular hits really close to home for me. And I also think it's the one that people are frankly most ignorant on. Yeah, I've definitely had people, you know, asking me for clarification around it mm-hmm. who would definitely understand it, like once it's explained to them, but when they like first hear it, yeah, they're like, oh yeah, no, that, okay. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Like that's no. And like need to like break it down. And then they're like, Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Unfortunately the, the field, the information field here is littered with a lot of, I think purposeful misinformation yeah. and scaremongering imagery. You know, there has never been a truly dominant trans woman athlete in a woman's sport. And that's going to be a tough pill for some people to swallow because they look at Leah Thomas and they go, well, she won every race that she swam this year. Well, no, that's not true. She lost a bunch. Also, she's in the Ivy League, which is not the highest like competition that you can get in NCAA Division One. And then when she got to the national meet, she was not the most standout swimmer in any way, sense, or form. There's a UVA swimmer that broke like eight NCAA records at the same meet, but nobody talks about her. They're just talking about Leah Thomas. I think that part of the problem is, is that if you just take people off the street who have never met a trans person, right? Like 
they would say, oh, yeah, of course, men generally are better athletes than women, which is true. Like, there are no trans people who deny that. The point that I keep coming back to is once trans women start hormone replacement therapy, there are very real changes that happen to our bodies. And they all contribute to making us significantly less athletic. If you look at Leah Thomas's times from when she was a freshman in college to now when she's a senior, she her body matured for three years. And you would think that three years of having a college workout would make you faster. No, her times dropped significantly. Like her in her best event, she got 15 seconds slower. And that's all because of her hormone replacement therapy, despite all of the hard work that she had, you know, maintaining her athletic ability. So we know for a fact that trans women lose a significant amount of athletic ability. So all I've ever asked is that if you're using data to look at your trans sports inclusion policy, the data has to compare trans women's bodies with cis women's bodies. And often what you see is the anti-trans side will just say, oh, well, you know, there's this under 14, under age 14 soccer team that beat the U.S. women's national team. Of course, women can't compete. And it's like, well, no, those are cisgender boys, right? None of them have trans bodies. Or they'll say, oh, well, the, you know, men are always 10% faster than women, but they're comparing cis versus cis. And I'm just saying, include trans women's bodies in this. And if your conclusion shows that trans women have this insurmountable advantage, go ahead and ban us at that point. Like, if the data truly shows that, I would support a ban. I don't believe the data shows that. There has never been a dominant trans woman athlete in any sport. I think you see a lot of these niche cases of, you know, there's a cyclist who won a world championship last year or a couple of years ago. And everybody is like, she, you know, it's not fair. Nobody else can compete with her. And it's like, well, yeah, but she's competing in like the 35 to 40 age range of masters cycling. And like the best 35 year old cyclists on the women's side are still competing in like elite races like there's two different divisions like masters which is the older person division and then elite which is the sort of that's the best of the best and if you put the trans cyclist in the elite races she would get her ass kicked <laughs> and you had you know an olympic weightlifter and everybody's going this is not fair she's just gonna win because you know she's a man or blah 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 blah, blah. And she finishes last she doesn't even get her weight up at all to begin with and it's like Everybody needs to calm down because every time there's a new panic with a trans athlete that's supposedly going to take over a sport, it never works out, right? And the frustrating thing for me is trans women shouldn't have to continuously point out how bad we are at sports to justify our inclusion. And it's so frustrating to me to go around going, well, yeah, but really she didn't dominate. And it's like, Trans women should be free to dominate if they are good enough to do that. And so far, just because there hasn't been one, like, doesn't mean, I don't know. It's it's no, incredibly agree. frustrating. All I ask is that you just use trans bodies for your data. There have been trans men who have done incredible things in men's sports. You know, Chris Mosier is the only trans athlete ever to make a United States national team 
in his like transitioned gender. So he's a trans man. He transitioned from female to male, and he made a men. He made the men's biathlon team for Team USA, and it's like we never talk about that. Well, that's what I was. <laughs> no just trans woman say. has done that, and it's like, hello, something's going on here that people I think are missing. I want people to look at those things, but people are so set in their ways, and I think that cis men in particular are extremely threatened by this conversation because I think. And this is my own sort of meta-analysis. I think if it became established scientific fact that taking a couple pills for a year can turn men or bring men to the level of women, quote-unquote, I think that's terrifying for a ton of misogynist cisgender men out there. I think it actually threatens the undergirding of patriarchy. And I must sound like a lunatic when I say this, but (laughs) I think that there's something to that. And they just cannot, they refuse to look at facts when their very existence is under threat like that. Well, it's also just the patriarchy of it all. I think you really like laid your finger on it. It's like, look at the bill signings and it's all these white girls mm-hmm. who are at those preventing trans kids from playing sports. It's creepy. It's really kind of creepy. And like, you're right. They only focus on trans women playing sports and not trans boys. Like, it's all the patriarchy of it. And like, we need to protect the girls. And like, you know what? Let trans women play sports. I I don't understand. Yeah. Well, and also when it comes to these bills, like they're mostly targeted at high school athletes. But I think that the examples that they mostly use are adult trans women. And I don't think that's fair either, because I think that there's a big difference between a 24-year-old body and a 16-year-old body. Oh, for sure. So, again, like, I think this is overreach on their part. I think this is a solution in search of a problem. I realize that it's that I probably hold a minority opinion if you polled everybody in the United States. but. I just want people to look at the facts. And I think it kind of goes back to that first thing we said. It's so just the lack of familiarity and like uh, having a deeper understanding of these issues. It's like new and scary. Yeah. There's another part of this too, where like, I think pictures, like still pictures drive a lot of the discourse on this. So there'd be, there was a picture that like the national review ran that said this one picture should end the trans athlete debate. And it was Leah Thomas like off to the side on the podium. And then the three, the next three finishers in her race were like huddled together and it looked like they were excluding her, but actually like one of the women who is in the, the other group came out and said, no, actually these were my Olympic teammates and we wanted a photo of the three of us. And and somebody snapped a wide angle photo including Leah, where she wasn't really meant to be. And those swimmers, each of them have come out and said, like, we support Leah's right to compete against us, right? There was another photo that went viral that seemed to show Leah, like, jumping higher into the water than the other women in the race. And it was really misleading. I, I think it was really that she got off to a slow start. So it looked like she was higher because like when you jump into the oh, pool, uh-huh. you don't jump straight out. You jump out and then you go down, right? <laughs> so 
I think, and you see this repeatedly with trans athletes where they'll, they'll just post pictures. And sometimes it's just a picture of a woman with muscles. I remember a couple of years ago, there was a picture of a Chinese track relay team. It was a women's relay team. And there was one woman with long hair and three women with short hair and this British uh, gender critical feminist, quote unquote, um, looked at it and said, woman, man, man, man. And it was like, what are you doing? You don't know who these people are. You're just judging it on appearance. This is misogyny, actually. Yeah. And none of the Chinese women were trans. Like, that would have been a huge deal. I mean, quite frankly, LGBT rights in China are not in the greatest place. So that would actually really surprise me if that was the case. But I just want people to just take a deep breath, step back, read a broad range of perspectives, look at the actual data involving trans bodies. It tells a, a much different story than, than most people have a knee-jerk reaction to. Okay. <laughs> I am so sorry I for so the rant. Wish, no, you are fine. It needed to happen. But I'm just like, oh, God. <clears throat> I wish we were done. I wish that was all <laughs> oh, we had. No. But wait, there's more. <laughs> I know, right? Oh, God. Okay. So the next bucket, because of course there's a next, mm-hmm. is banning gender-affirming care for young people. Yes. Which, we've, again, we've talked about this Jesus. before. <laughs> Jesus Christ! Yeah. Okay. Deep breath. Okay. Let's talk so, about this bucket. Relevant to the topic of your show. I think this is the area where repro folks and trans people have the most synergy because, and I'm somebody who's obviously covered both repro and LGBT rights for a long time. The gender affirming care bans are, are, I mean, they're certainly implemented by the same people um, and often in very similar ways. I'm going to use Texas as the example because that's the one that's been in the news. Yep. Um, But the governor there. So, okay. The background on this is the Texas legislature over the last couple of sessions have tried to implement a gender-affirming care for minors ban, and they have not passed it yet. And so what you see is the ultra-conservative activist base in Texas is really unhappy with Texas Republican leadership because they want this ban in place and they keep failing to pass it. So Governor Abbott and his lackey, Ken Paxton, the attorney general, they're both facing primary challenges this year. They both face them. And they were facing off against candidates that were even further to the right than them. And the biggest issue was this lack of a ban on trans care for kids. So what you saw was Abbott, in the weaning days of his, well, both of them really came out with proclamations, like the proclamations to the Department of Family and Child Services to consider providing gender-affirming care to somebody under 18 to be child abuse, which is essentially what the law would have done in a roundabout way if it had passed or the bill, excuse me. So they basically circumvented the legislature to try to backdoor this in so that they could win a few other other votes and beat off like this primary challenge from somebody further to the right. It's actually really terrifying for families 
with trans kids. And when we're saying trans kids, like you don't start any gender affirming medical care until after puberty starts. So we're not talking about, you know, young, young kids. They're mostly teenagers. And I mean, when Child Protective Services starts showing up at your door doing an investigation, like that has the potential to really ruin your life, right? Yeah. So, and the other problem is, is that child abuse has no statute of limitations. So even if families like pick up and move immediately, like they could still be prosecuted because it happened, like they were doing this thing before the proclamation. So it's a really dangerous situation that families can't really escape. And it runs the risk of loving parents, like losing their kids to, frankly, a trash fire of a foster care system in Texas. They're simultaneously dealing with this huge scandal where one of the Christian foster homes down there that has the contract from the state actually was trafficking children, sex trafficking children, and they've got busted. So, like, it's a horrible system. And the Republicans in power, like, weaponizing this. But the thing about it, (laughs) I had to lay the background to sort of get to my point, and I apologize for that. No, it needed to happen, (laughs) because, like, again, people need to understand kind of ins and outs of all this. Yes. I wanted to tie it back to, I think it's SB8 in that state, which is the abortion bounty law. So the abortion law works in a way that anybody can sort of bring a lawsuit against a provider if they have been found to perform an abortion, right? So they're sort of like weaponizing the public to gang up on providers. The trans care directive works in a slightly different, but also very similar way in that anybody can report parents for child abuse. That's how the system works. So they are also weaponizing the public to sort of police their own in a way that I think is very similar to SB8. I think it's somewhat easier, actually, to end up reporting people to DC, you know, to the to Child Protective Services than it is to bring a lawsuit against an abortion provider. So in a lot of ways, they've like hypercharged SBA and then pointed it at trans kids. And as we've talked about many times, like these are core issues of bodily autonomy. If the state can take away access to what is universally regarded as life-saving treatment for trans care, they can certainly go ahead and do the same thing for abortion, for birth control, for any host of other reproductive-related activities. So I will renew my call once again for solidarity between (laughs) repro folks and and trans folks, especially on this front. We are all in this together. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I agree. It, uh, I don't know. It, <laughs> this is, I mean, they all make me so mad. Mm-hmm. Like all of the issues we've talked about so far today. But like when this Texas thing happens, like I, it just breaks my heart. Yeah. Thinking that kids could be pulled out of a home with loving parents who are providing them with life saving care. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, it's just devastating. I know of at least one parent who whose kid is over 18 
what they had provided gender affirming care before they turned 18, before the directive. But the parent, the mom, works in a childcare-related field, and she's being investigated now. Um, So it kind of circles back and ties back into the book banning, classroom bans, where this is this is really just a culture war to try to shut up, you know, trans people and, and our closest advocates. Yeah. Uh, again, <laughs> we all need to be in this fight together. And I'm happy that it feels like a lot of the repro community is, but not enough. We all need to be really loud about this because we it, it is. It's going to impact all of us. These are both issues of bodily autonomy, and we need to fight them together. Yep. Okay, Kate, that was a lot of terrible. <laughs> um, let's. Let, is there any good news? Like, come on, please tell me there's some good news. Uh, there is. It's not. It's not quite to the scale of bad <laughs> news, unfortunately. I know. Something that I am personally very happy to see. So yesterday, we're recording this the day after Trans Day of Visibility. And the White House actually had a series of really meaningful policy rollouts on TDOV that I'm excited about. The one I'm most excited about, I mean, so among those are uh, people can now get an X has their gender marker on their U.S. passport, which is a huge deal. And we're not the first state to, that, you know, the first country to do this. But it's a really fantastic thing for non-binary people. They're also uh, partnering with like airlines and the TSA to provide education on what the X gender marker means. And they're trying to deprioritize gender as sort of an identifier altogether when it comes to air travel, which leads me to my favorite part, (laughs) the TSA change. (laughs) So, so for those of you who don't know, when you go through those big, you know, body scanners where they make you raise your arms up over your head and spread your legs. And then the x-ray machine sort of like whirs past you before you step into that machine, there's an agent on the other end who will push a button that's either male or female. If you ever like go through, next time you take a flight, turn back and look at the little computer screen on the scanner and you'll see like this, there's two buttons, male and female, right? So it's telling the scanner to scan for certain body types and trans people typically don't have those body types. So before I had bottom surgery, um, it was always a question of, will I get like sexually assaulted by my government today just for getting on this flight. Um, because, you know, if they're scanning me as female, it's going to register my penis as an anomaly or an alarm, they call it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it was always really awkward when that happened. A lot of times I would ask to get rescanned as male so that my pat down was on my chest and not on my groin because that was less of an invasion to me personally. But what the Biden administration has announced is that they are replacing those machines. Yay! <laughs> so they're replacing them with machines who, which are not gender dependent, which are supposedly more accurate than the current scanners. 
and with the goal of producing fewer alarms for trans people, which is something that we've frankly been asking for since the scanners came out. Like there were articles literally the week that the scanners came out about trans people like getting harassed. And there have been several high profile incidences of trans women who were, you know, not just singled out for pat downs, but also brought to the back. And then I think in one case, there was a 16-year-old trans girl somewhere who was actually strip-searched without their parents present, which is really awful. So we're all extremely happy about the TSA change. Uh, we no longer have to get <laughs> bottom surgery or top surgery to feel comfortable flying. It's actually a huge deal for us. That That is good news. Yes. I will take it. <laughs> I will take it. Okay. So I always like to end with what can our audience do? So what can our audience do right now? (laughs) Pray. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I I think I'm going to answer this the way I think I've always answered it. And, you know, if you're a repro advocate, like I just ask you to show up when there's a trans protest. I've told this story before, but, you know, being based here in D.C., I end up covering a lot of protests. And when I go to a repro protest, I see, you know, trans people and trans advocates there. And when I go to a trans, you know, a rally for trans rights, it's just trans people there. And it's been my goal for a very long time to have that not happen anymore. And I just like if you show up, we see that and that's a big deal. Uh, we also notice when people don't show up and it, it really genuinely makes a big difference in our psyche. Yeah. It's one of the things I miss about going into my office because I have mm-hmm. not been in there for two years is going to all of the rallies at the mm-hmm. Supreme Court for all of the things. Because as Kate knows, our office is literally right behind the Supreme <laughs> Court. So like, I always kind of felt like I would be going out of my way to not go. <laughs> There was always uh, a security guard at the Supreme Court that I would wave to when I was coming to your office to record. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Always going to. I mean, and I always. The other thing I do not miss as much. Oh, yeah, I'll say it. Is um, so I would walk down Second Street to our office and I seem to be on the same schedule as when that Catholic church would get out. Oh, no. <clears throat> so I would run into Justice Thomas not oh, infrequently great. on my way. And I always had a really good knack for running into him and like having to wait on the corner uh, before the Supreme Court <laughs> with him on big decision days or big argument oh, days. No. And like the like don't say like all the things going through my head of like you can't say it just you can't (laughs) say it you can't say any of the things that you're thinking so many times kate so many times i remember when obergefell was being argued i was the only trans woman in the like the media section Uh uh-huh I had to pee the entire time. Oh, God. And all of the arguments were about where trans women should go to the bathroom. And oh, I'm just like, help? oh, my God. No, it didn't help at all. I was freaking miserable. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, what we're saying is show up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> go, to the, go to the rallies. I try to go when I can. 
Sometimes you have to make sure you're getting on the right list. Yeah, that's a. I think that's a big thing. Because yeah. sometimes I find about later. Yeah. I think human rights campaign is a good one, especially if you're in D.C. They do a lot okay. of stuff around D.C. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I got to make sure I get on all the right lists because I don't always know until after. But they're the, the big ones one, I know I think. about. <laughs> I go to. Okay. Well, Kate, thank you so much for being here as always. It was a joy talking to you about terrible, terrible things. Thank you for having me. Okay, y'all. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Kate. I had a great time talking to her as always. There's so much going on and just don't forget, even if your passions are in repro, that this fight over bodily autonomy and trans rights is our fight too. And we need to be in the, in this fight with the trans community. We're all going down together if we do not fight together. So with that, if you have any questions or a topic you'd like me to cover, always feel free to shoot me an email. I'm at Jenny, and that's Jenny with an IE, at reprosefightback.com, or you can reach out to us anytime on social media. We're at Repros Fight Back on Facebook and Twitter or Repros FB on Instagram. Otherwise, I will see y'all actually next week with a special bonus episode for Black Maternal Health Week. For more information, including show notes from this episode and previous episodes, please visit us at our website at reprosefightback.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at reprosefightback and on Instagram at reprosfb. If you like our show, please help others find it by sharing it with your friends and please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening.